You are listening to Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. I am recording on Saturday, May 30th. This is episode 24. So it's been a bit of a crazy news cycle here with protesters and riots happening across the U.S. I was here in L.A. for the 1992 riots, and this just feels so much bigger and feels like a movement and like the beginning of a revolution. And I definitely want to address this in further detail. So I couldn't pull it together for this week, but I do want to say that in the next episode, I'm going to devote it to talking about books, important books that deal with race, um, and especially ways in which, and I'm speaking for myself here as a, a white person who's in a position of privilege, can learn and listen to uh, other people's voices and really become introspective in terms of where I'm complicit. So you can look for that in episode 25 coming out in two weeks. Has the quarantine fatigue settled in? Actually, I don't know. We're still in quarantine, but everyone's doing such different things in terms of quarantine that I can't even keep track anymore. So the four of us are still home, um, but my husband is working every day, but he never stopped. So that hasn't changed. And we have graduated to safe distance lawn visits. And it's been so nice to see people and spend time with friends. Both of my kids are virtually graduating all in the next week. It's definitely an exciting time. I have a graduating elementary schooler and a graduating middle schooler, um, but it's also a really bittersweet time. But I have updated my website and I would love for you to check it out and give me feedback. Uh, my website address is www.jennifercaloyeris.com and the spelling of my last name is C-A-L-O-Y-E-R-A-S. So I had had my old website since 2009 and I just tried to freshen it up a little bit, give it a little facelift, tried to make it a bit more streamlined and simpler And here you will now find information about me, the books that I've written, the classes and workshops that I teach, as well as learn more about this podcast. Uh, There's a little blog section on the website, and I'm trying to post more uh, virtual literary events taking place, especially for the summer where some of us are still going to be hanging pretty close to home. And on my homepage, you can join my mailing list. And I promise I will not bombard you with emails um, just three times a year, I promise. And as a thank you, when you add your name to my mailing list, I will send you a handy dandy pictograph of how to get more reading into your life. So has your local library opened back up? Ours is still closed. I have had a stack of their library books for months now, and I still haven't gotten through them. I know that in Chicago, public library staff are allegedly asking people to hold off on visiting the library after it reopens because they do not feel confident about the safety of the plan for reopening. I have no idea what our Los Angeles plan is, so I can't weigh in there. 
But I did think that since so many restaurants have adopted curbside pickup, I was wondering if maybe libraries could do the same thing when they open up. And then maybe when they get the books back from patrons, they can quarantine them for 48 hours or something or disinfect them somehow. I don't know. Any librarians out there listening who have inside intel on the possibility of curbside pickup at the library, give me a shout at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. So before we get to the books, this week it's time for some bookish news. First up, have you ever been to a virtual silent reading party? I have not, not since probably fifth grade where we all sat at our desks reading for 45 minutes when the teacher couldn't think of something else for us to do. Well, consider yourself invited every Wednesday at 6 p.m., to a virtual silent reading party. The cost ranges from $5 to $20. It's a pay what you can situation. You would attend via Zoom and then read silently together apart. The event is organized by The Stranger, the Seattle alternative newspaper, and these silent reading parties have actually been taking place for several years in a local hotel, but when gathering in person became a challenge, they moved it all online. So I will go ahead and put a link to the virtual silent reading party in the show notes section of this podcast. For those of you with wee ones, or if you just happen to be a fan of Raul Dahl, Taika Waititi, and many other actors did a reading of Raul Dahl's James and the Giant Peach on YouTube. The reading takes place over 10 episodes, all benefiting Partners in Health, which is a nonprofit fighting COVID-19, and other actors participating include Meryl Streep, Lupita Nyong'o, Mindy Kaling, and the Helmsworth Brothers. But wait, there's more. Each episode will also be accompanied by family-friendly activities for viewers to enjoy, including crafts and experiments and competitions. Now, on to the books. This week, per usual, I have a wide and varied range of books. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I read in practically all genres, and I like to cover a lot of genres when I do my podcast. So first up was my favorite read over the past two weeks, and that is Lydia Millet's A Children's Bible. Lydia Millet is the author of Mermaids in Paradise that I read and loved, but she's also the author of 13 novels in total, which is just amazing. What I didn't know about her before preparing for this podcast is that she holds a master's degree in environmental policy, and I'm sure it came in very handy while writing this latest novel that I'm going to talk about today. So people often talk about how during a crisis, in this particular case, an environmental crisis, that great art will come out of it. And I think that this book proves that this is, in fact, the case. So this novel is a parable about climate change, and in it, a group of families gather together for a reunion at this very picturesque house on the water surrounded by the woods and nature, and the parents are pretty aloof. They stay busy and away from the kids. They're, the parents are partying and making out with one another and totally not paying attention to their children who have kind of formed their own counterculture up in the attic where they're sleeping. 
and they have their kind of own set of rules. The protagonist is named Evie, clearly influenced by Eve from the Bible. And the children concoct a game because there are so many of them and no one knows who each child's parents are. So the game becomes to keep the identity of your actual parent a secret for as long as possible. Um, That's sort of just an aside. That's not really what the book's about. But anyways, Evie's little brother is a bookworm and he's walking around with a copy of a child's Bible, stories from the Old and New Testaments. So they're kind of living their adventurous life out in the woods. Um, When a large storm threatens their vacation, the children begin to realize that that also happened in the book, A Child's Bible. And that's not the only coincidence. As the story progresses, things keep happening that seem to be ripped from the biblical stories. Um, And the parents continue to be oblivious through all this. They just keep partying and... uh, sort of highlighting their complacency in all this. This is definitely a book where the children are smarter than the adults, and it works as a treatise on the complete ineptitude of adults when it comes to saving their children from the environment that they've completely devastated um, and then bequeathed to their children. So the children themselves become warriors and activists and problem solvers. And I read this book really as a call to action of sorts. I think that this is one of the most important books of fiction about climate change that I have read. And again, that is A Children's Bible by Lydia Millet. Next up is an oldie, but a goodie. It is called I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. And this came out way back in 2013. And I read it way back then. Um, It's a very chunky book. It is well over 600 pages, but it feels like a fun summer read. Um, It starts with a Beatles quote from their song In My Life. And it's about a secret agent trying to uncover a terrorist plot, which coincidentally is the plot of the middle grade novel I just read with my kids, but I will talk about that book another time. So Terry Hayes, the author, worked on Mad Max 2, and this book definitely reads like an action movie. The book starts off at a gruesome crime scene after September 11th. The main character, who goes by many names because he's a spy, um, but his code name is Pilgrim, so we'll call him that. Pilgrim is investigating a female body that bears no identity because she's been so brutally mutilated. Then we're reeled back to Jude's past and how he became who he is today at the age of 32. Then we are whisked away to Saudi Arabia, where we are now in the mindset of a budding teenage terrorist whose father was publicly beheaded. And that's kind of what sets him on this path to get some retribution for his father. And of course, since this ends up being the person that uh, Pilgrim will spend the rest of the book pursuing. If you've ever watched the TV series The Night Watchman, this book kind of reminded me of that in terms of tone and travel and the violence and the spy genre. If you've been listening to my podcast, you know that this is really not the type of book I typically typically gravitate towards, but I was hooked and it's a very fast-paced read um, and it felt kind of refreshing to read something totally different from my usual wheelhouse. 
And I believe I read or heard that they are making it into a film, which makes total sense um, because it will be an absolute adrenaline rush for sure. So again, that was I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. My next pick is also a book that came out a while ago back in 2009, but I only just read it a week ago, so it was new to me. This is called One Day by David Nichols. This book is about the relationship, friendship, sometimes it blurs the line to romance between Emma Morley and Dexter Mayhew. Emma is more introspective and bristly at times, and Dex is charming and handsome, super outgoing. He's like a real people person. So the two first meet in 1988 at the end of their schooling in Scotland during a sort of one-night stand attempt. Then the novel visits them every July, charting how their lives have further developed. Dex spends the next year traveling, and there's something about reading travel narratives right now while I am stuck at home. It's just so refreshing. I just want to read all the travel narrative. Um, Emma gets a job at a Mexican restaurant in London, and their feelings towards one another in terms of the possibility of a romantic relationship sort of ebb and flow, um, but they are never coordinated, so they never are interested in one another at the same time. Uh, Dex goes on to become a successful uh, business person, TV personality, and womanizer. And Emma has a harder time defining her role in their relationship because he's always calling her in the middle of the night, kind of asking her to bail him out of situations. She's the constant cheerleader and the person he leans on when he needs something. um, And she's kind of getting tired of being put in that role. So it's a lot of conversation between two longtime friends over an extended period of time. And having recently read for a second time Sally Rooney's Normal People, I feel like this is like a different version of that story. This book is not as bleak, not as sparse, definitely lighter and funnier. So if you like the idea of getting to know uh, the relationship between two people over the course of a long period of time, but you found normal people to be a bit, uh, a bit too bleak, then I think this is a good pick for you. This is One Day by David Nichols. Next up is for sure a quintessential summer read, and it's called Happy and You Know It by Laura Hankin. I got this as my book of the month pick for May and finish it in two days. This is a total romp of a book, kind of like a big little lies meets little fires everywhere, but lighter and cloppier. Is that a word? It clopped along. I'll say that. It's about Claire Martin, who used to be a singer in a rock band, but the band ousted her in favor of a new lead singer. And now that band is very successful. Um, and Claire is kind of left behind feeling lost and jealous and feeling like I should be the one up there fronting this band that I started. So she's living in New York City and stumbles upon a job opportunity leading music time to a baby group and their very privileged high-maintenance moms who are all struggling in their own ways with how small their worlds have grown since having kids. 
There's a mom named Whitney, who's an Instagram influencer. There's a mom named Amara, who kind of used to be a big wig at a network. And soon Claire realizes that these moms' lives aren't as shiny and perfect as they looked when she first met them. There are secrets on top of secrets here, stowed away within the baby group. And once Claire begins to unveil them, they just continue to grow and grow. So even though this isn't a new topic, you know, I've read books like this before, but it was really fast and fun and a light romp that just kept me turning the pages for sure. So that is Happy and You Know It by Laura Hankin. And last on my list this week is a recently published suspense novel called Woman on the Edge by Samantha M. Bailey. At the beginning of this novel, a new mom named Nicole Markham walks up to a social worker named Morgan on a subway platform in Chicago and just hands her her baby. Morgan, who is reeling from her husband's recent suicide, doesn't quite understand why a total stranger has just handed her their baby. Uh, Nicole places the baby in Morgan's arms, and then she steps in front of an approaching train, ending her life. So this all happens in the first two pages. I am not spoiling anything here. Um, Other people at the train station don't necessarily see all the events I just described playing out the way that Morgan did. So now she's in police custody. She's being accused of not only kidnapping this baby, but also of being the person who pushed Nicole into the approaching train. Nicole, as it turns out, was a CEO of a very successful wellness company and a host of different characters were after her money and control of her company, especially now that she is dead. So the novel is told in alternating point of views. We get Morgan's determination to find out why she was handed this baby, and she's searching for what sort of connection she may have had with Nicole. She doesn't know what she looks like. She doesn't recognize her name. She never shopped at her uh, wellness company or had anything to do with that. But she's trying to find out if they were connected in any way. And then in alternating chapters, we get Nicole's point of view leading up to the baby handoff. So I think if you enjoy psychological suspense, you will like this book. And again, it is Woman on the Edge by Samantha M. Bailey. And that is all. You made it to the end. And I will just leave you with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, which is, and I quote, a riot is the language of the unheard. And don't forget, author Joanne Hart will visit Books Are My People on June 29th. And in the meantime, you can... Get a head start by reading her memoir, Stanford 76, A True Story of Murder, Corruption, Race, and Feminism in the 1970s, and her novel, which is called Float. I will put links in the show notes to these books and everything else I've talked about. And up next for me is the fittingly pandemic novel, The End of October by Lawrence Wright. I'll be back in 14 days, and I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.